The word of the Lord, as we read it this evening, is taken from Revelation chapter 22, the last glorious chapter of the word of God. Revelation chapter 22 is on page 1938 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to be, in a particular way, interested in the prayers that are offered by the Spirit and the Bride, first in verse 17, and then in verse 20 at the close of this chapter. We begin the reading at verse 1. Let us listen to this word the Lord speaks to us. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. 
Notice again those words from 17 and verse 20. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who's here say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. And then verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading and our hearing of his word this evening. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know whether you would agree with me, uh, but as the father of four, four children, three very lovely daughters, one of the great joys in life is to attend a wedding, to come to the feast, the celebration, to give your daughters away to their bridegroom, to give your son, entrust him to a woman whom he loves. Now, I'll admit, as the father of three brides, there's some arduous and difficult days in preparation for the wedding day. You have to have checkbook in hand because it comes in handy when the bills start rolling in. But let's not be cheap. Let's do it up to our best. Let's give what we can in order that the celebration may be a festive and joyful occasion. And so what a relief in more ways than one when at the day of the wedding, the moment arrives and the bridegroom is adorned for her husband and presented to him and the husband looks at her as I did when my bride came down the aisle breathing a bit of a sigh of relief that she was going to carry through on the promise, having lived in some measure of fear that she might have second thoughts. Uh, it's a day indelibly imprinted upon my memory. Now, why do I mention that at the beginning? Well, the book of Revelation, the word of God in Scripture, in this very last chapter, is describing a bride the bride of the heavenly bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, as she is preparing for, anticipating with great eagerness, uh, the marriage feast, as it's called earlier in Revelation chapter 19, of the heavenly bridegroom and his blood-bought, dearly loved bride, whom he's been wooing, for whose wedding he's been preparing her all throughout the course of the history of redemption. Finally, the day is coming, has arrived. And it's striking that there are two prayers that are represented as upon the lips of the church the bride of Christ, as she contemplates the day of her wedding. The first is, interestingly, not what you might think it means in verse 17, when we're told the spirit and the bride, this is the testimony of the spirit through the church, among the nations, here and now, in preparation for wedding day, she prays, she says, come, and let whom who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, 
Let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Now, as I'll explain in a moment more directly, that's a prayer that among the nations, all whose names are written, as chapter 21 ends, in the Lamb's book of life, all among the nations, that they would come and be joined, members of the bride. So that they would have a share in the joy of all at the wedding feast, comprising the bride of Christ on the day of her wedding. It is the fervent prayer of the church in the spirit. The spirit and the bride say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. This is not a wedding where there's a finite list, a short list of invitees. And the father of the bride is sweating the question, I hope they don't all say yes, because there's another $100 thereabouts that I'm going to have to foot the bill if they respond gladly to the invitation extended. That's the first prayer that we want to consider. And then the second prayer is even more urgent, even more eagerly in anticipation pray. The one, the bridegroom, who no less than three times, and it harkens back to the very beginning of the book, behold, he is coming soon upon the clouds of heaven. The time is drawing near. And three times that gets echoed in this, what might be called the epilogue to the book of Revelation. The bridegroom promises his bride, behold, I am coming quickly which engenders, prompts her to respond to the heavenly bridegroom, Amen, come, Lord Jesus. No bride has been more eager, more anxious, more in anticipation of the day of her bridegroom's coming. Now, in order to Before we consider those two prayers, and not to worry, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I've sort of given the store away in my introduction what those two prayers are, but I want you to remember with me, uh, it didn't, we don't have enough time for me to read tonight all of chapters 21 and 22, but they constitute a single dramatic envision. John sees this. Fulfillment of God's promise, the marriage of Christ, the lamb, the lion from the tribe of Judah, and his, as I put it earlier, properly speaking, as the book tells us, reminds us, as the scriptures remind us, his blood brought bride. And it's a beautiful representation vision. She is represented in terms of the imagery of the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem the golden. We're told at the beginning of chapter 1, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old, the first heaven and the first earth, some translations render it, the old order has passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now that's just a little illustration in the book of Revelation of a symbolic image. In the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, the sea is often a representation of the chaos 
the upheaval, the brokenness of God's creation under the dominion of sin and the curse judgment of God against us because of our sin. It's like the raging and the terror that accompanies that as you are in the upheaval caused by the raging of the sea. This new Jerusalem, this new order, this new heavens and new earth, the sea is, you know the song, by the sea of crystal. It's smooth as glass. There's no hostility. There's no disruption. It's a peaceable kingdom where all is at rest, not in the sense of inactivity, They're very active. We're told in chapter 2, his servants are ever serving him in that new Jerusalem. But it's not a drudgery, it's not a duty, it's a joy, unending in the new Jerusalem. And it goes on and tells us of how I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, notice this, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, For her husband. You know, of course, at a wedding, it's not a piece of unimportance that the bride be properly dressed, presentable. This bride wears garments that are dazzling white, unspotted, washed in the blood of the bridegroom and in the faithful deeds worked by the Spirit in their steadfast endurance in the run-up to the wedding day. And it tells us that the bridegroom, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be, what happens when the marriage is effected? Why then you embark upon, you go down life's pathway together to use imagery language from the old marriage form. From henceforth, you live together. And to live together, you need a house. Not just a house, it needs to be a home where you live in perfect communion, fellowship with one another. This is not like your and my marriages, which are but a faint reflection of this bridegroom who comes having prepared his bride, the new Jerusalem, that he might live with her and she with him in this new creation order where she will be his people and he will be their God and you know the language well. A home, a dwelling together in rich communion marked by not a single tear. No more weeping, no curse there, no more night there. That's picked up again in chapter 22, the section that we read this evening at the beginning. God will be their light. And the lamb who dwells with his people, the bridegroom, will be the light. Look upon him with wonder and he upon her. By the way, have you ever thought of the church, of yourself as a member of the church, as a bride with whom a bridegroom, the Lord Jesus, could never be more pleased 
We often use language about the church for which we should be a little bit ashamed. Christ loves her. She's beautiful and he will make her so. He will remove every spot, blemish, anything whatsoever that would strip her of her dazzling beauty. And if you read the remainder of chapter 21, in the interest of time, I have to be as quick as possible here, uh, that's your homework assignment. Read it. But what you'll find is that new Jerusalem is represented, and some of the language is drawn out of the prophet Ezekiel. John is caught up by an angel to a high mountain so that he has a perspective wide enough, panoramic enough, to be able to take in the dimensions. It's a mixed metaphor. It's a bride who is a city, a new Jerusalem, who is a place where the bridegroom, suitable for him to live with her and she with him, world without end, ceaselessly in perfect, perfect communion and unbroken joy. But she's dazzling. That new Jerusalem, we're told, it's actually, and we don't have time to go into all of that, it's actually paradise exponentially, not just a little garden from which we've been cast out and have lived east of Eden ever since. It's a garden temple Sanctuary. Did you know that the Old Testament Holy of Holies, which symbolically represented God dwelling, the place where he put his name in the presence of his people, how much access did they have to that place? A high priest, but once per year, could enter in. But that sanctuary, place of God's dwelling, was a perfect cube. It was as wide as it was deep as it was high. Relatively small, actually. This new Jerusalem, this city of God's dwelling with his people, the bride at home with her bridegroom come, we're told is 12,000 stadia wide, deep, and high. And you say, well, what, Dr. Venomous, you're speaking in tongues, 12,000 stadia, what's that? 1,400 miles wide, Deep and high, one commentator I read said, so high that contemporary satellites might hit it if they were flying overhead. Now, it's symbolism. It's not to be taken. Uh, you have to have imagination to read the book of Revelation, uh, to think in images and pictures that seek and stretch human language to grasp. And it's interesting to me that the New Jerusalem, the temple that would be rebuilt, of which Ezekiel speaks, was a tiny little ark by comparison to this temple. But the thing about this temple is it has three gates on all four sides, 12 in all. It has 12 foundations, the apostles. It has... Twelve doors, gates, 
upon which are written the names of all the tribes of the people of Israel. It's an, an attempt to capture the whole of the church, Jew and Gentile alike, gathered from among all the nations throughout all of history, now brought to her fullness. Everyone at the end of the chapter, as I've said already, in the Lamb's Book of Life is there. No one's been left behind. They're all together in one place. And then you have this interesting language the city shines with dazzling light because it has share in God's glory. You know the Old Testament. When Moses was presented before God, he had to hide himself. He could scarcely look at God from a distance and in small measure. Think Isaiah the prophet. I'm undone. In this city, no, no more shielding our eyes. We look upon him and he upon us, the bridegroom and his bride. And it has 12 jewels, all kinds of jewels. I'll just give you one example. One of those jewels is jasper. In fact, the whole of the place is brilliant, shining like jasper. And I'm told that the best jasper you're going to find on this earth in this life is going to have a little bit of a mustard texture. It's not going to be clear as crystal. Uh, you think that diamond your husband gave you was something. <laughs> These jewels are all represented as confirming the point I just made. This is the new Jerusalem. Everything in God's new creation temple because the whole is filled with his glory and his people are in his presence, all of them, without any fear. Perfect love casts out fear and love's consummation is effected in the day of the bride's presentation to her husband. Perfect joy unbroken blessedness. Every remainder and trace of sin has been expunged. Nothing unholy. Zechariah's prophecy, even the horses, harness, harnesses. In the Old Testament, in the, the temple, the golden vessels were consecrated to the Lord's service, but this city is paved with gold. It's a new creation temple, a fit place for that union and communion between the God triune and his people for which our lives were destined according to God's gracious purpose in Christ from the very beginning. And I could go on and on, but I know I must not. Let me just leave it at that. Imagine the most glorious, unimaginable wedding day when the bridegroom and the city, his bride, the new Jerusalem, descends from heaven and they dwell with him and he with them, life without end evermore. You talk about a happy ending. Too good to be true? No, these words are trustworthy and true. He's the God of the Amen, 
faithful and true. No promise he's ever made will fail to come to fruition. Point of the whole book. That's why we're not to add anything to it or take anything away from it. But now back to the two things with which I wish to leave you this evening. The first, the prayer of the bridegroom in the run-up to this day of her wedding to the heavenly bridegroom is this. Come, why would you not come? And there's an echo. We're already told in chapter 21 at verse 6 that in this city there's a river that makes glad the people of God. There's a river, verse 6, we're told um, in chapter 1. To the one who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. It's imagery. Jesus uses it of the Spirit in the Gospel of John. He's the one who gives a living water, which if you drink of it, you'll be forever refreshed. And renewed. I could paraphrase Augustine. Our hearts are restless till they find rest in you, O Lord. Our souls are parched until we drink of the life-giving water streaming from the river of life in the city of God. That's why in chapter 22, that same river of water, the water of life, is said to be as clear as crystal. That's why it heals the nations. That's why it brings fruitfulness and gladness. That's why it, as we read in verse 17, is the prayer of the Spirit and his, the bridegroom's bride that says, Come, let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, I was going to say a moment ago, I inserted something that popped into my head. I do that sometimes. But he's <coughs> quoting Isaiah's beautiful prophecy. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And running on, for why would you die? It is the earnest summons and gracious invitation of Christ's church. They should all come. I somewhat tongue-in-cheek at the outset of the sermon said that some, myself included, fathers of the bride in the run-up to the wedding day are somewhat relieved when some guests say, <laughs> I'm not coming because there's nothing of that here. There's no cost to the one who comes. It's, if you read the book of Revelation, you might even at some point think, well, only those who are righteous people, good people, holy people are worthy to come to the kingdom of God. Oh no, everyone in that kingdom was once dead in trespasses and sins, but washed in the blood of the Lamb, drinking deeply of that ever-flowing fountain, inexhaustible river of life that is God's Spirit. Why would you then not come? I was in Here's a little illustration. We get in trouble with illustrations. But I was in London a couple of years ago with my wife, and it was the day of guess whose wedding? Harry and Meghan. How's that working out? Not quite so well as some had hoped. Well, the interesting thing was, this is something I want to call to your attention. London is a very busy place. On that particular day when we left London, we were flying home the day of the wedding on a Saturday. Was I glad to get out of town because it was, there were royalists everywhere with their Union Jacks dressed from toe to head. 
they were really excited. Now, I'm telling you what. There's scarcely a UK or certainly an English man or woman who wouldn't have given whatever it took to get a ticket to attend the wedding. Just imagine that you should be invited to a feast. Sometimes I think we get what we're called to do in evangelism a little wrong. We represent the message too sternly. Come to the feast in the kingdom of God. For why would you die? Join us at the feast. Know the joy that we've already experienced, though in small measure. No earthly marriage, husband, life together is anything like worthy to be compared to life in God's kingdom come, the new Jerusalem. The church is a church represented here in the run-up to her wedding that is busy sending invitations, extending a gracious welcome. Come to the feast. The door is open. The bridegroom is coming. The day of his wedding draws near. But then you have, secondly, the prayer of the bride that the bridegroom should come. She prays, yes, that the guests all in the Lamb's Book of Life would come and prepare themselves in anticipation of the feast, but she prays for the bridegroom, who again, as I said earlier, three times repeats that with which the book begins, the promise that he will come soon. Now, commentators stumble all over themselves with that coming soon. Maybe you think it too. 2,000 years and he's not yet come. That doesn't look quick to me. Well, we don't have an answer for that. Apostle Peter says a thousand years is a day. A day is a thousand years. And God in his patience and mercy is extending the opportunity that the gospel would come to all who are invited to the feast. And yet as I was thinking about this today, I'm getting to be an old person. I'm going to be 66 in this year of our Lord, and there was a time most of my life when I thought, well, that's getting up there. It's getting serious. And what occurred to me was this. When my earthly pilgrimage is over, I know not when. At any point prior thereto, I'm going to look back and say, it passed quickly. It was true. The psalmist was right. It's but a handbreadth can't believe how quickly it has flown away. You see, the language here of quickly is, he will come. He will come. And when he comes, the bridegroom would say, will say, he's come quickly. And can you imagine the joy of the bridegroom, or I should say the bride, well, the joy of the bridegroom too, on this wedding day. 
as we walk through history and join and sing the martyr's song. We think of the saints who have gone before us. There's that lovely song in the Psalter for all the saints. We can already hear the sounds of the music, the rehearsal in heaven, the tuning of the voices, the busyness in the preparation. And I can say to you in the name of the Lord tonight, brother, sister, you've never been to a wedding in this life, however festive, whatever a beautiful day it was, however memorable it may have been, that can hold a candle to this our coming wedding day. So do I hear you pray? Yes, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Do not delay. Come. That we may enjoy that wedding feast that you have prepared for your bride. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we know, Father, that under the images and the symbols and all of the stretching of language to express the inexpressible, that our wedding day is coming. And in the meanwhile, Father, teach us to pray in the presence of many who have not yet come. Come, all you who are thirsty. May that be our message till Christ comes. And may we also be found upon his coming, having been in prayer that the day would come when all these tears, sadness, sorrow, death, the curse, night, are no more. We pray in Jesus' name. Come, Lord Jesus. Yes, come quickly. Amen.